So we are in the middle of this series called, and his name shall be called. And every year I try and kind of come up with a theme or an idea that we can use to um, impress upon ourselves that there's a bigger meaning of the season than maybe we are giving it. And we are taking a verse of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that foretold the coming of Jesus Christ. And it goes like this. It says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That's what we described last week. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So this week, we are going to have our minds blown just a little bit about how incredibly mighty God is. And this was the babe that was born in the manger, the very Son of God, who was God, the mighty God. It's hard to understand how mighty he truly was. Because here's the problem. We have these finite minds that cannot comprehend an infinite God. We can't fit him in our brain. It's just impossible. And by the way, I'm kind of glad, because if I could figure God out, he wouldn't be as God, because he would be something that I could comprehend. But we all have this God box that we feel God needs to fit into. This is how he ought to react to situations. And this is what we believe about him. And we don't think this is right. So we put all of these restrictions on God because this is what we can understand and comprehend. And we put God in our God box. But God doesn't fit in my box. Because God is bigger than my box. And he's bigger than my ability to comprehend. And everything that we have and see and experience and know was created by God Almighty. And here's the incredible thing. He spoke it into existence. What a powerful God. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 19 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heaven and the earth by your great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for you. What a mighty God. Now, I think to kind of drive this home just a little bit, there's a video that I found, and there's a lot of them out there. There's a video I found that kind of puts into perspective how incredible this creation is. Now, that was not the intent of the video. The intent of the video was just to all you by the sheer size of our universe. But I'm going to take advantage of it and just give credit where credit's due. This incredible God who is the mighty God. So Dave, we don't have a pause button for me up here. So Dave's going to be my pause button because there's a couple interjections I want to make as we're kind of going through here. So Dave, let's go ahead and play this. It's pretty awesome. All 
All right, so this is the distance between the Earth and our moon is 238,900 miles. And you're going to kind of see, obviously, that's a long way, right? 238,900 miles. And then let's, let's watch this here. Uh. All right, now, just to kind of give you an idea, 1.3 million Earths can fit in the sun. 1.3, and that's, well, I'm going to stop there because it gets better. So we are, we are 34 million miles away from Mars. I mean, it's incomprehensible, 34 million miles, and it gets better. Let me just, this, this, you would pass right over this if you don't stop and try to comprehend how much, a, how far a light year is. And we know what the speed of light is. Yeah, 186,000 miles a second. So if you add up how far light would travel at 186,000 miles a second in a year, that's a light year. So as we begin to talk about distances, in our solar system, in our, in our galaxy, and the universe, in light years, there is just no way to really comprehend. It's like, again, we're trying to fit this in some type of way that we can understand. So just to give you an example, the sun, it takes eight minutes for light that leaves the sun to get to earth at 186,000 miles per second. It takes eight minutes for it just to get here. This is just a cool thought. When God created everything, you had all of the stars that we see at night that shine and we see it. They're so far away that if God had created the earth 8,000 years ago, it still would not, we still wouldn't be able to see the star because the light would not have made it from that star to the earth yet. That's how far away it is. So then the idea is that God went ahead and created the light so that we see it immediately here on earth. It's just amazing 
thoughts to think. And I don't have the brain that a lot of you do as far as being able to comprehend all of that. But it's like any time we get to the place where we kind of think we understand it, we probably don't. We're just trying to grapple with these numbers. There are over 31 million seconds in a year. So if light travels at 186,000 miles a second and there's over 31 million seconds in a year, that means that light travels 5 trillion. 878,499,810,000 miles. And I did that in my head just now. <laughs> and the galaxy, and our Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years wide. And we think that all that happened by chance? Let's continue this. This is good stuff. <laughs> so that little circle is all that you can see at nighttime from the earth. That's, that's what is actually visible to us at night, is just what's in that little circle there. what to do with that. I mean, I just, I mean, it just, it's jaw dropping. And I think one thing, it makes me, it's not so much that makes me feel small. I think it just gives me perspective of where I fit in all of this. And here's the incredible thing is that we are the focus of God's attention. That he gave his own son to redeem us and enter into a relationship again with us. That's incomprehensible to me. Like, couldn't he have just started out brand new somewhere else? He certainly had plenty of real estate. But we are that valuable to him and this relationship that we enjoy. So what we try to do when we study God, what's called theology, the study of God, 
we try and come up with ways to put them in a box and wrap our brains. So we came up with some terms that, that all they do is explain the fact that we can't comprehend it. So like the first one is omniscient, that, that God is omniscient. It means that he is all-knowing. His knowledge is unlimited. We can't even understand how much God knows, so we just say he's omniscient. He knows it all. And then another word we came up with was omnipresent. That means that God is everywhere at the same time. Now, this is where it starts to kind of blow your mind a little bit, because if that's true, then that means he's not limited by time. And so God exists in the past, just as he exists right now. And he knows what's not, he, he not only knows what happens in the future, he, he, he's existing there right now. Because he's not limited by time like we are. He is omnipresent. And he's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. His power is unlimited. So let me just kind of put this in perspective just a little bit. So when you don't agree with something that you think God allowed to happen, maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. that he may know more about the situation than you do. And you can trust him. So this child, Jesus, will be called the mighty God for a reason. Now, how does all of that mighty power relate to him? I'm just, I'm going to try and bring it down just a little bit because my mind is still a little bit fried right now. And that is that, that God's power or the power of Jesus Christ is working both in us, and he's working for us, and finally he's working through us. And those are the three things we're going to try to briefly cover this morning because I want you to understand the fact that this mighty God is is interested in investing himself in your life. So first of all, Jesus' power is working in us. Now, I don't, I don't quite comprehend all this, but there is, there is something that happens when you come to the place in your life when you receive Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it being born again. There's other terminology for it. It happened to me when I was nine years old. We were living in Alabama. I went to a tent revival meeting with my sister and my dad. Somebody invited my dad from work, and it was the first time I'd ever heard the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins. It was the first time I'd ever heard the fact that I needed Jesus Christ in my life, that it was something that I needed to do to, to, to connect the, the two, that I needed to understand the fact that I couldn't say myself. And so I remember as a nine-year-old boy, an invitation was given and I stood to my feet, and my sister and I both went forward, and somebody took the Bible and showed us from the Word of God how we could know for sure that we had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe at that point in time when I was a nine-year-old boy, when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, something incredible happened. The Bible says the Holy Spirit moved inside. And the Bible says that that seals me unto the day of redemption. That's my get-out-of-hell-free card. It seals me into the day of redemption. Really? I mean, that's, that's it. And, and, and so, so I have that. I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? God the Father. I can't even explain that to you, but they're all one being. 
God the, God the Father, obviously, seems like he runs the show. Maybe not so much any more than anybody else because you got God the Son who came to earth and you have God the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. But they're all the same thing. I don't understand all of that. And there have been volumes of books written trying to understand and explain it. And I'm just glad that God's God and I'm just Eric. I just believe it. But Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2. He said this. He said, for it is God which works in you inside of my being to do two things, both to will, in other words, to give you the desire, but then also to do his good pleasure. So he empowers you so that a desire is created inside of you to do that which brings God pleasure. And can I just say, if that desire is not inside of you, If there is nothing in you that wants to make God happy, if there's nothing in you that wants to to abide by the will of God, it's not a bad idea to just have a conversation with somebody and say, is he living inside of me? Or have I just kind of always gone to church? I was going to try to say that thing about the car being in the garage, but that didn't work. Last time I said it, like if you park, if, if I'm in a garage, doesn't make me a car just because I'm in the garage. And just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. It didn't sound anywhere near as cool right then as the last time I heard it. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. That's what it is. Thank you. Thank you very much. And so it's like you don't get it by osmosis. It's a decision you make. And I don't know what church background you have or, or, or what you're familiar with. I'm just going to tell you, if you don't have a desire to live your life for God and do something for God, even if you are doing wrong and nags at you, then maybe there's not the God living inside of you. Because when God lives inside of you, the Bible says that there is the will created and the desire placed to do something. For God. He's at work in you. God is good. And God only wants good for you. So whatever that will is of his good pleasure, whatever that is, it's good. And the desire that he places inside of you and the work that he wants to do in you is for your good. It's going to make you happier. It's the right thing. The result is going to be wonderful. Spiritual change is not produced by imitation. It's produced by inhabitation. So imitating what you think a Christian ought to do is not good enough. Giving God a tip and throwing 10 bucks in the plate doesn't impress him. I like it, so keep doing it. But it's not like God's like, man, that's great. You're really, you're really achieving what I had in mind when I wanted to work in the lives of people. It's, more, it's like when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, there's just something that, that's inside of you that's at work to conform us to the image of his son and to perform his will. Because if we're left our own, our own selves, 
There is an emptiness, there's a lack of purpose, but when we have a relationship with God, it gives purpose and meaning and significance to our lives. That's just not there apart from Christ. Jesus is working in us, and then Jesus is working for us, and this is exciting. So Jesus is at work in our lives, but he's also at work for us. So this mighty power, we have access to it. And I don't know where you need it in your life, where you need strength, but we have access to it. It's for our benefit. A familiar enough passage is in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, but I love the verses leading up to it. It says this, he gives power to the faint. That's a lot of us. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God's strength is available. So where do you need it? Where in your life? I know this, my strength is limited. God's strength is unlimited. My strength is finite God's strength is infinite. My strength runs out. God's strength goes on forever. There is always enough. And here's the beautiful thing. There's always enough, and God is very generous with his strength for us. Paul, a prolific writer in the New Testament, wrote two-thirds of what we call the New Testament in our Bibles wrote to churches, and one of them was in Corinth, and he wrote two books to Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, prior to this passage we're going to read, he explained to them that, that God has given me a what he called a thorn in the flesh, something that just nagged at him. And, and people have tried to guess what it was. Some people think that it was his stature, that he was very sickly, or maybe he had poor vision I had a professor in college tell me that it was constipation because he wrote somewhere else in Scripture that the things that would move me, move me not. <laughs> I don't know for sure. That's why I blamed it on that college professor. But I mean, that may not be a correct interpretation of Scripture. I'm not sure. But I don't know what. So when you hear my wife clearing her throat, that means you've gone far enough. So I, don't, I really don't know what Paul's problem was, but he went to God with it three times. He went to God three times with whatever, and every time God said, no, I'm not going to fix it. My grace is sufficient for you. And so that's where we pick up here in verse 9, and Paul says this to the church of Corinth, my grace is sufficient for you. This is God saying this to Paul, for my strength is what? Made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says this, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my affirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So he's saying, I have a choice. I either try and do this in my own strength, or I do it in the power that's been afforded to me by Jesus Christ. Therefore, I take pleasure in my affirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, (laughs) then am I strong. That doesn't make any sense. Unless you're relying on a strength that's not yours. There's a greater power and a greater purpose for that power. 
And not only is God's strength unlimited, and not only is he generous with it, but it's just better than mine. So lean on the strength that God wants to give you that can be worked for your advantage. God works in us. He works for us. And finally, Jesus is at work through us. And this is kind of what it's all about right here. Because if, if, if it was only about you becoming like Christ for the sake of being a better person, he would have just taken you on to heaven as soon as you got saved. But he left us here for a reason. And that is so the power that's working in us and for us can be used to affect change in this world. As a matter of fact, one of the last things he told his disciples before he went to heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said this. He said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So I'm giving you this power so you can get a better parking space close to Walmart. No, it's not about that. You are given this power to reach the world and affect change in your sphere of influence, whatever your world is. The power given by Christ has a purpose because Christ has empowered us to change the world. That's what it boils down to. So this power that's working in us and for us is also there to work through us so that we can change the world. What, what world are we talking about? I don't know. What's your, what, what does your world look like? In the business world, we call it a sphere of influence, right? An SOI. So my sphere of influence. People that I have a relationship or have some influence in. So whatever that world is for you, that's the world that God has given you to affect change in with his power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, here's again Paul. And again, he's, he's reflecting on the fact that he has a lot of shortcomings in and of himself physically. He said, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And there are certain things in our life that can only be done with the power of Jesus Christ. And he's given us that power to affect change. So two things this morning, and we're done. First of all, if you have never been connected to the power, it's no wonder things don't make sense to you. It's no wonder things don't seem to work. If you've not been connected with Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a conversation. And there are folks that would love to make that introduction. It's a relationship that you begin. As I said earlier, the Bible calls it different things. The one that I'm most familiar with is being born again. It's like, it's like a switch. It's like a change. It's a 180. And I'm no longer trusting myself in what I can and cannot do to get to heaven, but I'm trusting in what Jesus Christ has already done. Because you either believe in a, a do, do, do religion, or you believe in a done religion. And the done religion is that Jesus Christ has already done it. It's what he did for us on the cross, minus nothing and plus nothing. 
And that's the faith and trust that I have. That my, that my eternal destination and my relationship with God is all because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. So my first request would be that, that if you don't know for sure that you have that relationship, that that Holy Spirit's indwelling, please take care of that. And we're here for you. This is a beautiful opportunity. At the end of the service, we'll have some folks standing up front that would love to pray with you, at least, at least have a conversation with you about what that needs to look like. Or obviously, I would be happy to have a conversation with you as well. And then the second thing is, if you are a believer and you do consider yourself a follower of Christ, what are you doing with it? You know, what I'm afraid of is that we have this incredible, mighty God at our disposal, working in us and for us and through us, and we live exactly like everybody else in our life. You get up and you go to work and you come home and you eat and you go to bed and you get up and you go to work and the only thing that interrupts that's a binge on Netflix. It's like there's just no purpose greater than yourself. There is so much more to life. There's so much more significance and purpose and reason for being here. That's why we have this power working in us and for us and through us. And consider what it is that God would have you do with whatever your sphere of influence is. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you, and we don't know exactly why you love us so much. But thank you. And I don't understand everything that there is to know about everything you want to do with us and through us, but I pray, Father, you would just help us to be obedient to you. And maybe if there's someone in here this morning, and I'm sure that there are plenty, who is unsure or doesn't know exactly what it is that you have done for them, and they've never made that connection and trusted you, that they would not leave you this morning without that conversation. We love you and thank you for being a mighty God and working in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand.